Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study at Celebration Church. Glad that you've joined with us. Our campus is in Appleton and Stevens Point, as well as here in Green Bay, and all those of you who watch us around the world on the internet. All right, so last week we finished up with Peter's first letter. He's got two of them, so that was First Peter. And, uh, you know, all these different theologians, they all have different views about it the exact order of when these were written. The one that I've been following says that the next letter that is written is Jude, which is what we're gonna look at right now. And they go right into Second Peter, so they think that was the timing of it. Uh, actually, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of similarities in Jude and Second uh, Peter, really a lot, even in, although Jude is like a really short little letter. Uh, we'll, we'll point that out as we get into it. So anyway, so we're assuming that Jude comes next. And let's start. Jude, there is no chapter because it's just the one chapter, just verse one. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Who's James? Do you know who James is? James is the, uh, we read the uh, letter of James when we started, uh, they said that this was James, again, they all have different views. The one I've been following says that James was the first letter written. It makes sense because he's writing to Jewish Christians. In the beginning, they were all Jewish. So that was the letter of uh, James. Now, James is, uh, at this point, he's, it didn't take very long. He was actually the head of the church in Jerusalem, uh, which is a little odd because, I mean, you know, <laughs> I gotta go into my Catholic explanations here, <laughs> okay? Because a lot of people come out of that world and uh, we're not Catholic. This is never a put down of Catholics, okay? This is just, we're not Catholic. And there's a reason, several reasons we're not Catholic. But it's not that we hate anybody. We get along with Catholics just fine. I just had a wonderful event with some uh, Catholic parish in California a couple of weeks ago. It was a blast. It really went well. Really sweet people. So anyway, but we are... We think a little different. So here's the deal. Uh, they say that Peter was the first pope, and then at some point Paul becomes a pope or whatever. And, but the reality is there was nobody called popes back then. All right? This was added much later. Uh, and the truth of the matter is Peter was in charge in the very beginning, and it didn't take long before all of a sudden James is the guy who's in charge. Peter's still there. But it's like he didn't want the job. I mean, he just, you know, let's... Let James have. Now, who's James? Now, Jesus, we find out in the uh, uh, Gospels, has brothers and sisters. Uh, again, those of us who are raised Catholic never heard that because their version is that Mary uh, stayed a virgin the entire time. Of course, then they have a problem because it literally mentions his brothers and sisters. And some say, well, that means the brothers and sisters in, in the faith. No, <laughs> no. They were called, those were called disciples, <laughs> all right? Uh, so um, then they name one place the brothers' names. One of them is James. Now, I was reading one Catholic theologian who acknowledges, yes, of course, it's very clear he had brothers and sisters. Uh, their theory is, is that uh, Joseph was a widower when he married Mary, which was not unusual to this very day. Widowers tend to, especially guys, jump back a few years. <laughs> so he marries, but that would have been quite the jump because he would have been a really lot older. She was like, they think, 14 or something. You know, Mary was very, very young when she had Jesus. This is not today. So we're not advocating for 14 year olds getting married, but by the way, but it's just the way it was. So they assumed he was a widower and then those were his stepbrothers and sisters. Okay. That at least they acknowledged that he had brothers and sisters. The reality is even without that scenario, which is not what we believe, we believe that the Bible says that Joseph did not have sexual relationships with Mary until after Jesus was born. 
Well, what does that imply? They did afterwards, all right? Now, why do they have a problem with that? Well, it's this weird Christian, and it's not just Catholics, there's other Orthodox Christians who also think this way. You know, their version of sex is like it's this filthy, filthy, horrible thing. And she would have never had sex. Really? It's not a filthy, horrible thing. Not in marriage. It's perfectly right, and that's the way God established it. Uh, I'm not quite sure how this happened. Um, they, <laughs> they had a deal. I can't remember their, I used to have this memorized, so I can't remember, so forgive me, those of you who know what it is, but it was like, uh, even when Christians got married, this was taught in the Catholic Church back when these people, everybody was paranoid about sex, they just couldn't handle it, so they said couples should refrain from having sex on Friday out of respect for Christ's death. And they should abstain from having sex on Saturday out of respect for, for the morning uh, what was taking place. And they were supposed to abstain, abstain from sex on Sunday out of respect for uh, the resurrection. And they were supposed to abstain from sex on Monday because of souls. I mean, they, have, they had one day. You got a shot one day, you know. Uh, and, and in fact, there was a, a, a real push at one time. Uh, they would approve of marriage, but they didn't approve of sex. So there were uh, Christians in a period of time that would, they literally had sexless marriages. They just got together and built a home together and shared resources and stuff like that. <laughs> Be a lot of tension in that home, wouldn't you think? <laughs> So, uh, so anyway, for some reason, for the longest time, uh, I think it's Josh McDowell I heard, he goes, goes through this whole routine, it's hilarious, of all the rules and regulations and, uh, you know, some theologian at, at some point, no, 1500s or whatever, said, you know, that sex was a perversion after the fall and that before that, men and women procreated much like flowers, that they would exchange some kind of pollen or so. I mean, all kinds of just crazy nut job theories because uh, we can't justify sex at all, which is just crazy. Now, the beautiful thing about uh, the Bible is that it's very sexual, extraordinarily so. In fact, these translators got to jump through hoops to try and tone it down, but it is what it is. And there are parts of, of, of the Old Testament that are, the sexual references are vomitous. I mean, they're gross. I think we went through it, didn't we? We were in Ezekiel, we read through some of these. Oh my gosh. I won't read it because it's really embarrassing. But, but it's not some historian writing it, like some of these things. It wasn't a psalmist writing. It was, it was Ezekiel writing the words of God. It was God speaking in the first person. In the almighty God making his points using all kinds of really gross, ask me afterwards, I'll show where it is, uh, of, of sexual references. And then you got the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon, the whole thing's about love, passion, and sex, right? Of course, theologians for hundreds of years have tried to convince us it's not about sex, it's an allegorical writing about Christ and the church. Hogwash. Allegory, my butt. When he was writing those words, he wasn't thinking about Jesus in your church, I guarantee you. So, I mean, all this, so you have this incredible, healthy, positive view of sex coming through Judaism. And to this day, they have a very healthy attitude uh, towards sex and celebrate it greatly. But what happens is at some point, we break off connection with the Jewish community. In the beginning, remember, they were all Jews. Then as we write, most of these writings that we're reading uh, are still a lot of Jews in the congregation along with the Gentiles. And it just became more and more about Gentiles and less and less Jews. We're going to read the letter of Hebrews coming up that is literally Hebrew, talking about Jews, is literally written to Jewish Christians. I, I forget the timeline. I, I got maybe 100 years, 150 years after uh, Jesus' death, at, uh, there stopped being any Jewish churches for whatever reason. So, so when they broke away from that, they broke, it was a great loss to, to the Christian community because they stopped having a healthy view of sex. They couldn't understand it in a healthy way because they lost their Jewish connection, which they always celebrated in a godly, righteous way. Well, why do they have a problem? Because they were pagans. 
They did stuff that was really bad. I mean, when we say pagans, these these people, sexual uh, expressions were out of control in pagan cultures. To describe it would be hugely embarrassing. I mean, it was, so they came out of it. They became Christians and came out of that thing uh, and now wanted to start doing life right. So they never had any basis of looking at it in any other way other than wrong ways. So that's, that's part of the reason for all of this. So anyway, they got to the point where they just couldn't imagine Mary ever having sex with Joseph, so we come up with a stepfather thing or whatever else like that. So we don't think that. We think that they, in fact, had a wonderful Fabulous, normal relations, just like any other person. Uh, but then, you know, at some point, they raised Mary up to a divine status. We don't do that. No, and it's interesting. The, the new t- How often have you even heard Mary referenced as we go through the Bible? It's almost never. She was talked about in the beginning when he gave birth, and after that, she, you know, she was here, and there's just, you know, I think one place I mentioned she was in the upper room or something, I can't remember, but she was not divine. Some of this really gets carried away. I was in Italy, and they, is Joe here? He's not here. Um, they had, a, there's a big church there, on, and a big crucifix, and on the front of the crucifix is Jesus. And as you drive around the car, on the back of the crucifix is Mary. And their basic interpretation for some of them was that Mary was really the one who suffered because she had to watch her son die. And any Italian mama will tell you that's too much to bear, you know. So all of this, and, and then, you know, and she prays for us and everything else. So, we don't do any of that. She was not divine, and not in our opinion. Again, we don't hate people who think in those terms. It's just we do not. All right, having said that, because the Bible says there is one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. That's it. There aren't levels of it. You know, there isn't like, you know, go talk to his mom because, you know, she'll put in a good word for me. You know, you don't got to do that. Jesus is already on your side, all right? You don't need to pray to saints and to cousins and uncles and aunts who can put a word with somebody up the chain. It's like, they made it like into a corporation. You know, it's hard to get to the president of Pepsi-Cola. You got to start with the secretary. You know what I'm saying? Work your way up. Well, it's not like that in heaven. We have direct access to God. Praise the Lord. It's fabulous. You don't, and you don't even need me as horrible as that might sound. You know, you don't need a holy man to give you anything to uh, connect with, with Christ. So anyway, so all of that. So anyway, James is the half-brother of Jesus. There's another guy. There's several boys that are named. They don't name the girls. They never did, you know. Christianity was the first religion that actually started raising up women and said there's no difference between men and women. Quite fascinating. But, uh, you know, they didn't mention, but they mentioned the guys. One of the other guys' name was Jude. So out of humility, they wouldn't refer to themselves as, hey, man, I'm, I'm Jesus' brother. You know, they, they wouldn't have done it because it would come off across arrogant. What he says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James who's also the half-brother of Jesus. So that's, that's their way of, you know, the connection, the family connection. Which, by the way, it's really fascinating. Uh, I've talked to some people about this. I, one of the things that people in our Western culture don't like, although it's, it's getting less now, but it used to be really sneered down about, was any form of nepotism. You know what nepotism isn't, right? That's, you know, uh, you got a relative who gets the next best job or... You know, the guy owns a company, and then his son owns the company, and the next son owns the company. And a lot of people uh, sneer at that. Um, I remember when churches started, it wasn't really all that long ago, when the pastor would install the next pastor as his son is the next pastor. And eventually the son takes over. You know, that happens. And there used to be all kinds of whining about nepotism. See, in the Old Testament, in, in Jewish culture, that is never sneered at. It is always celebrated. Um, family is a powerful, wonderful thing. It was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It wasn't Abraham, Raul, and Bob, all right? As much as we love Bob. You know, it was family. They were all family. And isn't it amazing when you get to the New Testament, it's Jesus 
and James and Jude. There's powerful connections in family. It is a positive thing. It is a not a negative thing. It was always celebrated as a positive thing in the Bible. There are still people who sneer at it. Don't, oh, oh, his, his family, you know, is too involved in the church. Yeah, yeah well, stick it, you know. It's, it's fine. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's been a standard in, in Jewish culture for thousands and thousands of years. It is a very positive thing. If you do it right, it's very powerful, and it can be very, very healthy. It's when you start to pass your faith on to your children and to your children's children, and they rise up and continue on. It's a very, very strong thing. Well, that should be a goal of all of us in, in terms of our faith. <clears throat> your number one goal is to hopefully pass your faith on to your kids. And hopefully they're more passionate about it than you are. That's the goal, right? Not everybody pulls it off. Uh, sometimes just because of uh, not doing this well. Uh, although that's not always. Sometimes it's just the kid. I mean, you know. How your kids turn out isn't always up to the parents. Thank God. You know what I'm saying? It can be, but not always. I think of my own personal family. There's six of us, six siblings. Three of them are heathens, and three of them are pastors. You know, same house. How'd that work? It's called free will, okay? You know, if, if you think because someone's kids aren't grabbing the faith very well that that makes the parent a bad parent, then the worst parent in the world is God. Because look how this mess turned out, right? So, you know, so again, if you do this right, the chances of passing your faith on are extremely high. Uh, but you can do it right, and it still doesn't quite kick. So I don't know. It is what it is. If you do it wrong, then of course, it's not going to work. So that's who Jude is. Jude is, is a part of the fam. Woohoo. Now, to those who've been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, uh, there is this very strong sense in the uh, New Testament of, of calling. In other words, you're here. You came to faith because God called. You did not choose me, Jesus, as I chose you. All right? When you came to church, God wasn't surprised. Ooh, never thought he'd be here. You know what I'm saying? He, uh, out of all of the earth, it talks about being called to faith. Now, there's a version of this where they say, well, everyone's called. It's just not everybody responds. There's all kinds of versions of this. Then you've got the hardcore pre predestination people who use these kind of phrases and say people are literally already born destined to go to heaven or hell. They're called Calvinists, hardcore Calvinists. Not every Calvinist is that intense, but a hardcore Calvinist, they really believe that. They believe, uh, you know, that, that you, know, you really have no choice. There is no free will which is absurd. The whole premise of all of this is free will. So to what level does that all kick in? I don't know. We just don't argue about it. You know, if somebody thinks here, you know, I'm a hardcore Calvinist and I really believe, okay. I mean, it just doesn't matter. There's, there's issues we just don't argue about here. I, I think it's fine. I don't think everybody has to think exactly the same about everything in order to fellowship together. There are people who are like that. If you don't agree with them, they all have nothing to do with you, you know, but we don't care. So I, what version of all this? I don't know. But anyway, those have been called. We've been called. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Nice introduction to his little letter. Very short letter. Dear friends, I was going to write you a letter about the salvation we share. I was really eager, very eager to write to you about the salvation we share. But I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted, for all entrusted to God's holy people. So he starts out saying, I was going to say something, but I'm not going to talk about this. Now what he's talking about is by this point, they're starting to have real problems in the church with false prophets and false teachers that were coming in and they would weasel their way into the Christian community and take advantage of people. Some of it, it was done uh, for money. Uh, some of it was just about ego and pride. 
They'd come up with weird doctrines, false doctrines. They started doing spins on Christianity, spins on grace, which people still do to this very day. I mean, it's not, it still happens today. But this was like new, and, and they're warning them, hey, hey, watch out for these guys. Uh, some guys did it uh, for sexual advantage. They would literally come in and take advantage of weak-willed women in the church. That's what they were. Uh, we'll read more about it, I think, in Peter. But... Uh, so all kinds of bad motives that these people had. Uh, and uh, one of the worst, we'll get to the book of Revelations, was the, was the teaching of the Nickelodeons, Nick, Nickelodeons, not like Nickelodeon, people who watch Nickelodeon. Uh, Nickelodeons, whatever the thing is. And uh, we'll take a look at that. It's the, Jesus says, I hate their teaching. It's the only time you ever see Jesus tied to the word hate. We'll get into that. I mean, it's real because it was very destructive to Christianity. It would corrupt people's faith. Uh, it sounds real pretty and exciting from the outside, but uh, it's actually very enslaving, which is what Jude and Peter, I think, more so talks about. No, we'll find out which one it's talking about. But how this, these freedoms really wind up enslaving people. It's not freedom at all. So anyway, it's interesting. So that's his whole motive. The reason he's writing this letter is to warn about that. And interestingly, in 2 Peter, he has the same line and really builds on it a lot more. So they're both writing at a time where we got a problem. Who are these people? These are destructive people. They are hurting people's faith. They are ruining people's faith. Uh, and they start warning about, watch out for these guys. So... He says, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. People are still doing that to this very day. They take grace and say because they believe in grace, there are no rules. You can do anything. It doesn't matter, uh, you know. Uh, and you know who's really eating this up up today is uh, millennial Christians are swallowing this thing hook, line, and sinker, and they all follow their little blogs and posts, and you know, and watch these guys talk about who the wonder of grace. And at the end of the day, all they're saying is, uh, "You can do anything," which to a young, impressible millennium who wants everybody to love them, right? See, the problem with Christianity is if you do it right, not everybody loves you. A lot of people will hate you, and they will speak badly of you. Well, they don't, they don't you know, we just, you know, do this and that. It doesn't matter. Cats and dogs can get married. They don't care. Grace covers everything. There's no rules. There's just no rules. That's the power of the cross. The cross is so powerful. You don't even have to repent of your sins. It's already forgiven. You don't even have to ask God to forgive you. Isn't that wonderful? And they do this stuff, and they're really pulling people out. But the power of the cross and great grace and, 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 and the uh, grace of Christ gets rid of the law. And what they mean by the law is any rules at all. We do not live by the law of Moses, which was very oppressive. Thank God for that. But they go too far. And at the end of the day, they think anything is permissible. It does, that's how great the grace of God is. I can do it. That is now a license to sin. You can do anything you want. So he warns about these people. Ungodly people, they pervert the grace of God. He said, why, why, do, you, why do you call it a perversion? Because the grace of God teaches us, I forget where we're reading that, to say no to ungodliness. That's the grace of God. If your version of grace doesn't teach you to stop doing things, that's not the grace of God. The grace of God is not just a highway to hell. Of course, they don't even believe in it. That's the other thing. At the end of the, well, then it doesn't, there is really no hell because God's grace is so great that, you know, there's really no hell. They, they go on and on. By the time they're done and they know how to use all the right words and terminology, they really corrupt a lot of people and send them down a bad path. Uh, and again, we still have that problem today. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt 
but later destroyed those who did not believe. Now, I mentioned last week, one of these doctrinal things where some people say, salvation is so great that once you're saved, you could be an ax murderer and you're still gonna go to heaven. Which I think is just absurd. Uh, you know, you can't lose your salvation. I don't know, man. It's not the gospel. You know, and then you got other people. If you uh, think of, if if you yell at a cat on the way into church, you're going to go to hell. You know, that you're, you lose your salvation just like that. Both of them are extreme, in my opinion. Uh, and so, why do, why do, why, do, why do we get this fight? Because you see these different verses. Now we're going to read verses here that are really implying here that this idea that you can never lose your salvation is not exactly right on. But then when we get to Peter, he starts using terminology where it seems to say the opposite. What's the truth? I don't know, just do it right. How about just love God? How about we not find out how awful we can be and still get to heaven? You know what I'm saying? It's like, I heard this story once about this uh, old story about this king or whatever. He, he needed to hire a, a, a chariot. Uh, not a chariot. <laughs> That's really old. That's Egypt. What do you call it? Wagon. The, the wagon driver. Is that what they're called? I don't know what they're called. You guys know either. Anyway. Whoever drives the horses to run the wagon. So anyway. The chauffeur? Is the chauffeur? I don't know what they're called. Uber. I don't know. I don't know what the... Uber drivers. You know, from like, you know, back when they didn't have cars. So you get an Uber driver comes. and He's interviewing these Uber drivers trying to find out, because he needs to hire a new driver. And the question was, when they were being interviewed, how close can you get to the edge of the cliff without going over? First guy interviewed, he says, man, I can get within two wagon wheels. Okay. Next guy comes in and says, I can get in within one wagon wheel. Interview the third guy says, I can do it with a half of the width of a wagon and not go over. Next guy comes in, he says, man, I stay away from the edge. <laughs> He's the one who got the job, you know, right? Grace is, let's see how awful we can be and God will still forgive us anyway, right? I mean, that's just, I, I just think it's crazy thinking. How about we just have a little fear, a little reverence of God and Take this stuff seriously, and I believe we are safe and secure, and you're not going to sneeze and lose your salvation. But don't take to these extremes. And of course, then some of them will argue that if you're truly saved, you would never go to the extremes. Then it all becomes a matter of semantics. Then everybody's just chasing their tail. At the end, if you really follow it, what's really funny about it is everybody's saying the same thing. It really is. They're just using different words. If, the, if you start getting that kind of thing, well, you, if you were really saved, you would never do that. And they're all yelling at each other. So we don't have those debates here. Okay, so anyway, here's his argument God delivered all of his people out of Egypt and winds up having to destroy them all. Okay? Um, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their power drilling, he has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Now, who's more saved than an angel? Right? I mean, that's his analogy here. Yeah. They wound up, they're in chains waiting for judgment day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the sounders surrounding towns gave them up gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So he's not messing around here. You know, he's trying to say, hey, 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 pay attention, take this stuff seriously. Yet he does start out talking about those who are called. You know, so it's a little bit. I just think where people get themselves in trouble is they take these real extreme uh, positions, doctrinal positions, and some of them just tend to be really extreme. And they get so caught up, they can't hear each other talk. And uh, it is what it is. All right. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, very interesting phrase, huh? On the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies. I don't know what they're talking about. I pollute with that, I don't know. But they reject authority and heap abuse on celestial beings. So they're kind of really irreverent. Uh, kind of cocky. Um, and you know, <laughs> I've, I've heard, 
usually young Christians, you know, they're very excited about their faith. And, well, the devil can blankety, blankety, blank. You know, they're trying to talk about how they're just victorious. And I, it, their hearts are right, you know what I'm saying? But you're really not supposed to do that. Do you know you're supposed to even show some respect to these, even to the angels that have fall? It's really interesting. God really has a chain of command and, and respect is supposed to be there even with really badly behaving people at times. Hard not to, because you want to punch badly behaving people in the face. And I know more than anyone else. But the reality is, even when people are behaving badly, as frustrating as it is, you got to step back and you got to treat them with respect. So anyway, these guys, yeah, they're, you know, doing all this stuff. Nobody can tell me what to do. They reject authority. I don't have to listen to you. I'm my own teacher. Everybody come listen to me and speak all kinds of abuse, whatever they're talking about. So that's means I have no idea. But then he says, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, I don't know where they find out these things, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander. When Michael, he wouldn't insult the devil. Why? We don't do that. These were celestial beings. These were angels. Well, they're fallen still. You know, it's like still calling someone, you know, governor, if they're not the governor anymore. Right? If Arnold Schwarzenegger were in here, you know what title he expects everybody to call him? Governor. Governor Schwarzenegger. These guys, yeah. Once they have their title, they keep it. You'll see people interviewed on television, you know, uh, Newt Gingrich, you know, Speaker Gingrich. Well, he's not a speaker anymore. Why does he still hold the title? Because he was. That kind of, you know what I'm talking about? A certain degree of earned respect, even though you might, I mean, a guy could be in prison. Some congressman, they're still referred to as congressman, ex-congressman who's in prison, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, so he doesn't slander or insult the devil, but he just said, the Lord rebuke you. Wow, interesting stuff. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand. Brother, they're quite the talkers. It doesn't tell us what they were saying. We don't know. It's like, one of the things about these letters, it's like if I write Bob a letter and we know what we've been talking about and we reference it, he knows what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. But if you pick up the letter, you're not going to necessarily know what I'm talking about because you weren't part of the original. You know what I'm saying? So some of these people had some of these things. They Obviously, everybody at the time knew what some of these guys were saying. I don't know what they were saying. Anyway, but obviously they were very disrespectful. They slander whatever they don't understand and the very things they do understand by instinct as irrational animals do will destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. Who is Cain? Remember? Yeah. Adam and Eve's son, exactly. He kills his brother. Uh, they've rushed for profit into Balaam's error. Do you remember Balaam? That's a little more obscure. We'll get to that in our Sunday morning series, Significant Events of the Old Testament. But uh, Balaam was a, uh, uh, a prophet, and he would speak blessings over Israel. And the enemies couldn't overcome the Israelites because of this prophet always speaking blessings, and they were aware of it because he was quite this powerful prophet, so they offer him money to curse them. So, uh, so he's trying to find ways. He's, he's actually getting corrupted by uh, money to, to, to curse Israel so that the enemies could have advantage over them. Anyway, fascinating story. So he's going along with this donkey, and the stupid donkey won't move. And he's furious, and he's yelling and screaming and hitting the donkey. And the donkey spoke with a human voice and said, why are you hitting me? And Balaam starts yelling at him some more. When you're mad and a donkey starts talking, you still keep yelling? You're really too mad. You know, my cat starts talking. What? You know what I'm saying? You're a jerk. What? So anyway, so the donkey rebukes the prophet. <laughs> I used to, of course, King James Bibles, some of those were a lot more fun because a, a donk, donkey's always an ass and, and, and the ass is talking. And, uh, and I remember telling people doing a women's conference and I said, look, if, if God could use uh, Balaam's ass, uh, he can use yours. So, 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 so be easy on your husband because God can still use him. So anyway. 
I always say donkey, it's not nearly as much fun. Okay, uh, and you can manage your kids how much fun we had with the talking ass, anyway. <laughs> 16 year old boys, we like the Bible. Look at this, <laughs> Anyway, so many bad things. Okay, moving on. Okay, and then they were destroyed in uh, Korah's rebellion. And this is something we will run into as we're doing the significant events of the Old Testament on Sunday. This happens with the uh, uh, Israelites when they are stuck out in the desert for 40 years because they are intolerable. Uh, anyway, so he says they've basically gone these bad ways just like these others throughout history have gone bad ways. These people are blemishes at your love feasts. Eating with you without the slightest calm, qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom blackest darkness is reserved forever. Yikes, he didn't like these guys. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them that of all the ungodly acts that they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own. And boy, now that isn't something. One of the ways that people obtain power is to keep pointing out what's wrong with the current leadership. You know, they shouldn't do it that way, and I wouldn't do that. You know, if I were in charge, I'd really do it differently. You know what I'm saying? People do this. Uh, we don't get much of that in our church because we're, we don't have the stupid systems that so many evangelical churches have. They have a political system. The inmates run the asylum. If you've ever been to these churches, it's all set up by uh, the people who vote for deacons and then and they have all these rules uh, or, or they use, you know, the rules of order, you know, to make sure that, and it's all power plays about who, you know, somebody gets enough people mad, they get a deacon mad with them and he goes into the church business meeting and they force a vote and then they vote and if the losing side uh, is really ticked, they leave the church and they split the church. Church splits happen all the time. Uh, it's one of the reasons why 80% of all evangelical churches in America have 100 people in them or less. 80%. That's about as many nut jobs as you can get in one place. Uh, they can all agree on stuff. It's exactly what it is. And then, you know, and if they start growing or whatever, they'll have some political thing going on and they'll vote this out in our presence like, and find the constitution and bylaws of this organization. And they just, they're just out of control. It's really, it's very disrespectful uh, uh, and very damaging to the Christian community, actually. Um, and it happens still to this day an awful lot. It's, it's less and less and less, but more and more churches are starting to get away from that crazy way of running things. But the majority of them still do it that way. And it's just nuts. Uh, okay, so. Uh, they're grumblers and fault finders. Always pointing out the wrong stuff. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. These are not good people, as you can tell. He's using all kinds of terminology. You know, twice dead, uprooted... <laughs> Clouds without rain, autumn trees without fruit. Boy, wandering stars and black holes. Yikes. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. In other words, we've been warned about this. We were warned about this. Pay attention, pay attention. Uh, Jesus warned about it. Uh, these are the people who divide you who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. They're not living by the spirit of God. They're just going off their own natural instincts. And uh, again, it just happens a lot. It just, I think it's awful. I am so opposed. We don't do that here. You know, there's ways that you can deal with issues and we have ways to do it. We have a financial board and all that kind of stuff, but nobody votes them in and out. There's no mechanism 
for someone who's ticked off about the pastor wearing confusing jackets. And I hate that because I can't focus and focus on Jesus because he's wearing that confusing jacket and my eyes are hurting. So they have a system where they can complain and get some power and have fight it and just throw the guy out or make him change his jacket. We don't have those. There's just no mechanisms to feed the insane. It's interesting because we have new people come all the time. There's people when they find out how our churches, and they'll ask right up front, so how, how, is your, how is the church and government organized? You know? What they're looking for, they're looking for a way. They want to go somewhere where they can have power. And when we tell them that we have none like that, they don't come. They want to go someplace and they go to some other church and terrorize them. Mere natural instinct. They don't have the spirit of Christ. That's not the spirit. When, el- when deacons are in the church parking lot, punching each other in the face. Have you heard of this stuff? Yeah, that was a lot in the South Bible Belt. Some of you guys watch us from down there. God bless you. But, uh, I like Wisconsin. We're far from the Bible Belt. Good people teach the word well, but there's a lot of cultural craziness. I greatly disdain much of cultural evangelicalism. It's not biblical, it's just cultural. They act like it's biblical, but it's not. And it just ticks me off. (laughs) All right. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Isn't that an interesting thing? Sometimes... People struggle with their faith. You know, when someone gets in a place like that, don't jump down their throat. Just be merciful to them. Help them through it. At times, you might have some issues in your life where you feel like God has abandoned you. Anybody ever feel like that? I mean, you know, and, and it's awful. And you're really struggling your faith. I get that. Do we jump down these people's throats? No, no, no. Be merciful to them. Help them. Try to build them up. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear. Why fear? The Bible actually warns, don't be arrogant when you see somebody else fall or the same thing could happen to you. You know, you see someone doing something really stupid or someone makes a mistake and, you know, as much damage as it happens as a result, I get, but don't, don't be quick to condemn people, you know, lest that same thing could happen to you. Uh, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. So he's just being very intense about keep it together. And then he ends with this little doxology. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. That's it. Really short letter. All done. Now let's go to the next book, which is now Second Peter. And a lot of those themes that Jude touches on, Peter elaborates on. There are some theologians that think, oh, the same guy wrote both letters because they're so similar. That doesn't mean they... Same guy wrote both letters. That means they were both dealing with the same nonsense, right? You know, the same. They were dealing with this problem of these people coming into the church and poisoning people. All right, so let's pick up with Simon Peter, the second book, letter, if you will. Chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, writing to fellow Christians. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He's given us everything we need to do this. So I don't feel like it. Well, no matter what you feel like, the reality is we have it. He has given us everything we need. He's given all of you everything you need to walk as a successful Christian, to walk out your faith. You lack 
Uh, it's not that you lack the ability to do this. People say, oh, I just can't do it. Yeah, of course you can. We all can do it. And by the way, try not to say, I can't do it. I know there's times where you just want to say, I, or, I can't take it anymore. Yeah, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. You don't, might not want to take it anymore. Well, that's a different statement. I can't take it anymore. Yes, of course you can. You would be surprised what people can take. Uh, stories of the Holocaust. It's stunning when you see what a human being is able to endure is stunning. When I was just in Germany, they took me to one of the uh, concentration camps nearby the post, and uh, ah, it's so depressing. You have no idea. It is unbelievable. You are there. Everything's still there the way it was when it was liberated. They got photos. They show the abuse, what they did to these people, the, the ovens where they were cooking. I mean, it's... It's unbelievable. What's amazing is the survivors. It is amazing what. I just can't take it anymore. My boss doesn't like me. I can't take it. Yeah, you can, you big baby. All right. Now, it doesn't mean you have to take it. I get it. But don't be this victim thing. I lost control and God can't help me. And, uh, no, God can help you. You got everything you need. He will provide you. To, to work this thing out right. All right? Uh, boy, I see those places. I, I think I would have lasted an hour and a half. Just from the cold. I hate being cold. I live in Wisconsin, but I hate being cold. Even when I go down south, I always keep a jacket. Anybody go down south and go into a restaurant in the south? It, you can hang beef in those rooms. It is so cold. You know what I'm talking about? You go to a movie theater, so my wife, it's like 93 degrees and humid in Miami. We got our jackets with us. We're carrying them. Why? As soon as you step into one of these places, oh, man, is this cold. Uh, anyway, I hate this. But they would take these guys, and in, I mean, the, the latitude is like, uh, Germany is like Wisconsin. It's probably why so many Germans here. It's like, looks like home. Uh, on a typical winter day, they would make them stand out there for hours, just stand. No shoes, some of them, no jackets, no other. And they did it continually. It was hard, just the smallest little things. Uh, about an hour and a half, that had been me, had been the first one out. But it's amazing what human beings can, can, can handle. All right, enough of that depressing talk. Where am I? Oh, yeah. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. What? All the stuff that you need. He's given a very great and precious promises so that through them you may, may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, this is an interesting phrase. Now, you have to understand, some of these phrases just go over our heads and we don't really quite catch it. Um, because these people had come out of paganism where God is a gazillion miles away. God is, you know, they got little idols and stuff they would worship and stuff, and, you know, sometimes hundreds of them. Uh, and they were doing everything they could to try and reach God, try and reach God, try and reach God. And Christianity was so radically different because you start out by experiencing God right off the bat. It's really quite stunning. Every other religion, I've said this many times, you have to study and study and study and study and study. You want to become a Muslim? You got to study, 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 you're not in this class. There's a lot of people who actually think the only reason for a Wednesday night class is because you're trying to join the church. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you guys, oh, you're going to join the church? No. <laughs> Already part of the church. Where are you going? Because we want to grow. See, their version is you're going to classes so you can learn the minimum requirements to get in. That kind of thing, right? But that's not what we do here. We're no one in true Christianity. You can walk off the street and not know anything about the Bible. Nothing and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ, who will forgive you of your sins, and ask Christ in your life, and you will immediately experience God. 
and you don't know Jack. It's quite stunning. I love it. And, uh, and now we learn, and now, now we grow. So he says, you are actually participating in the divine nature. We actually participate in connection with God. We actually get to share in this divine nature of God. We can experience and share in, which is fabulous. It's what we do when we pray and we sing and we worship and we fellowship in church and stuff. It's all part of connecting to the divine. We just, boom, and that's why you don't need a priest to help you connect with the divine. You don't need to be praying to anybody's mom to get you to the divine. You have to go through any kind of channels of secretaries or all the different layers of anything. We can connect immediately. We are participating in the divine nature. And this is radical to these guys. This is like, man, Christianity is so cool because they can immediately experience this wonderful experience of Christ in your life, the divine nature. It's one of, I remember when I first asked Christ in my life, it was so dramatic for me. I was talking to someone the other day about, you know, I used to be just a, you know, I was a hippie. That's <laughs> when I had hair. <laughs> and, uh, and I was a pothead. I was a pothead and LSD and all, all the other stuff like that. Uh, but I was a miserable sinner. <laughs> and uh, so what do you mean by that? I, says, it w- I was never happy doing it. It was never satisfying to me. I did it because that's just what we did. And everybody did it. I, I didn't know anything about Jesus, really. And experienced God in my life, man. And, uh, but I, I do all that stuff, and it just always left such an empty hole inside of me. I always felt this empty hole. You know who I really feel sorry for are people who really never experience that. They love all the nasty stuff they do. They enjoy it to no end. It is their greatest joy. And the nastier they can be, the happier they can be. Uh, no. What, what the people generally, and most of you, coming out of even those lifestyles, whether you're an alcoholic or whatever, you just felt this big hole. This isn't working. This isn't working. There's no satisfaction in this stuff. And, and then when I ask Christ in my life, and all of a sudden, you start participating in the divine nature. Man, it was cool. It's still cool. But boy, right from that world to the kingdom of God, it's like, wow, it was totally awesome. So they are participating through these precious promises in the very divine nature of God, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Evil desires will corrupt you. Watch out for them. Bible always warns us. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. And then he goes through a list of things. And we could do a very detailed breakout and analysis of every word, but we're not going to. I don't want to. Anyway, but it's a good Bible study. You want to do this? Study all these words. Add to your faith goodness. What does that mean? Do a little Bible study. Check it out. Look up some of these words. And to goodness, add knowledge. And to knowledge, add self-control. And to self-control, add perseverance. Some of these words, a lot of people don't even know what they mean. Look at it. Actually, you could do your own great little personal Bible study with just these words and a dictionary. I'm serious. Read the actual meanings of these words. And it's very fascinating. Uh, and to per- first perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. So he says, add, the point is add to your faith. That's what I want to focus on. We need to keep adding to your faith. If you're not adding, you, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no crying in baseball. It just came into my head. I don't know why. <laughs> there's no, <laughs> like channels are changing. Uh, there's, there's no standing still in the kingdom of God. You are either moving forward or you're falling back. It's just the reality of it. There's no status quo. You don't hit a place where you just drift. There's no drifting. You're slowly falling back. You think you're just kind of in a neutral. No, no, no. You either advance or you fall back. It is the way it is. So he's warning them, keep adding to your faith. Now, I don't need to impress us greatly on you guys. You're here adding to your faith. Most of our lovely church is not here. Not adding to their faith. They're watching Gilligan's Island or whatever they're doing at home. God bless them. I pick on them all the time in church. You hear me do it. Try to encourage them. Come to these Bible studies. Be intentional. You succeed on purpose. All right? You go, want God to bless you? You do it on purpose. You want to grow in your faith? On purpose. You know, you just don't come in and sing a couple of songs and, you know, and that's, that's really not enough. You need to add. You need to be intentional. That's the importance of it. Why? Because he says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, in other words, you keep growing 
in these. You grow in these things. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Why? Because eventually you'll just drift right back into the sins. Forward or back, that's all there is. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Now, <laughs> here, here we get uh, Jude kind of warning. Hey, man, angels didn't make it. What makes you think you're going to make it? You know, And then Peter starts talking about these concepts of calling and election, which means you've been chosen by God. And if you've been chosen by God, you don't fall back. Therefore, your election is secure. That's why you cannot lose your salvation, which from that concept, I get that, you know. But he says you got to make sure by doing the right thing. That's why I'm saying at the end of the day, if you follow it to its really into the depth, they're both saying the same thing. It says you get these extremes fighting back and forth about stuff. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Which means if you don't, you will stumble. <laughs> okay? And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, so the stumbling he's talking about could be interpreted as falling away from all this stuff. We all stumble in ways, but he says stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into heaven, which means if you stumble, you may not get that. So again, these two different viewpoints. So I will always remind you of these things, he says, even though you already know them. And that's, we'll pick up there uh, next Wednesday. Um, about the idea of why uh, it's important to keep hearing these things. At some point, I mean, in, in truth, the theology and stuff, I mean, it can be very rich, and the more you get into the Greek and Hebrews, I don't do all that stuff, but you know, that, that can be quite the intellectual journey. But the reality is, the basics of Christianity really are rather simple. At some point, you get to a point where you've heard a version of this already. But it's good to hear it again. He says, I, this is good for me. I'll always do this because you need to know them. I think it's right to refresh your memory. And that's what we do. You come to church and someone preaches a sermon about something and you go, ah, I already heard about that before. You don't get this. There's a lot of stuff we've heard before. You've been around me much. You hear a lot of things over and over again because I repeat myself. Um, but these are important things to remember. We need to because you'll forget it, there's one thing about, if, again, that's that whole concept of either moving forward or falling back. If you're not constantly refreshing your knowledge of even some of the most basic things, you will forget them. You just, you become nearsighted and blind, to use the analogy that, that Jude had talked about. Uh, man, I can't tell you how many times I've been like just really hacked at somebody, and I'll hear a sermon about forgiveness, and I go, oh yeah, ah. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? You gotta, when, when, uh, when Greg Stubbe was here, and he told that story of how he, he did like this guy that he was training. He flunked him. He thought he was a, a loser, giving him a hard time, because he was in charge of training the other medics. Uh, but these are fighting medics. I mean, Greg was front line, <laughs> a 50 cal machine gun. <laughs> I mean, he was... They, uh, I can't tell you what they used to call him. It's not pretty words, but they're military. But he was known as quite the kicker, all right? So anyway, um, so now he's wounded. He's, he's literally holding on to his guts. The medic comes in, and he looks up, and who does he see? The very guy that, uh, and his first words out of his mouth are, no hard feelings, man. <laughs> and of course, the guy said, no, 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 no worries. You know? and I mean, what a powerful story. You know, it was very interesting. Uh, anyway, we'll talk more about that next time. All right, let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your kindness to us. God, we, we do want to be aware. Help us to be aware of destructive teachings. A lot of these times these things sound so exciting and so glorious, but at the end of the day, if they're just giving you permission, giving us permission to live badly, that is not God's grace. Help us never to get caught up in that kind of nonsense. And help us to continue to grow in our faith by being intentional 
and uh, adding all these different elements into our lives and keep building upon them. Help us to remember always, Lord, that we need to be moving forward. If we sit still, we will always fall backwards. And if we see someone falling backwards, help us to reach out, grab them, pull them along with us. Help us not to give up on people, but to be patient, even towards those who are filled with doubts and really struggling. We thank you for your gifts, O God, in our lives. And we ask blessings on all who have gathered here tonight and listened to this message in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, see ya.